0: G'day and welcome back. Long time no see. And firstly, I do apologise for the huge break in between episodes. It wasn't something that was intentional. Um, once again, life just got really hectic. And uh, I know they say consistency is key, but unfortunately, the one thing that's consistent in life is that life is very inconsistent. Um. But I do have episodes and I do have plans to to bring more out for you over the next coming months. Uh, This first one, uh, I would like to bring you uh, with Helen and Maz. Uh, Now, I met these two lovely ladies uh, at our national conference in Cairns way back in July. This episode was actually recorded uh, back at the end of August, so I've unfortunately been sitting on this one for way too long, and since then, some of the topics that we've mentioned in this particular episode uh, may have come to fruition. We had a referendum coming up at that point in time, which is uh, now been completed and unfortunately was unsuccessful, uh, so the no vote won, so if that's a topic brought up, please know that it was recorded before. Uh, we knew any of that. So the one thing I would like to do before we get into this is I just want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which I record this episode, who are the Wugarukabar and the Bindle people. And I want to pay my respects to elders past and present, and I also want to recognise emerging leaders who are working alongside our elders as they continue cultural uh, and spiritual connections to country. I also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening to this episode today. I want to recognise all the First Nations people as the original knowledge holders of this land that we now call Australia and acknowledge the important role their wisdom and stories have played in our community uh, and give thanks to those individuals and communities who have shared their wisdom with me over the years. Now, this presentation is confronting for some. It's something I have spoken about on the podcast way back uh, when I had uh, Ricci and, and Jodie Booth on and we talked about whiteness and systemic racism. Um, now this presentation that Helen and Maz did at the conference was in a nutshell two white women uh, calling out their white privilege uh, and being able to put a name on it so that they could actually do something about the impacts that they may be having on uh, others around them, those they work with, clients, uh, co colleagues, etc. Um, so it was them trying to take action uh, against a system which was designed in a very Western manner. So please do enjoy uh, this episode on calling out your whiteness. G'day, my name's Brock Cook, and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at occupiedpodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode.
1: I, I'm not quite sure how to answer that, and and I wonder whether it's found me at different points of my life as well. Uh, obviously, I'm a bit older than Marielle, but I think initially it found me because there was that curiosity of people, curiosity of creativity. And that sort of young person's desire to work with people and do things, but I was sort of veered towards OT because I think it had more creative a- approaches. Um, and, pros- I th- and I remember when I started studying, I was more drawn to anything that was not mainstream or really complex. That was my what got me in. That got got me into that.
0: Gotcha.
1: Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I've heard that from a few people when they're sort of tossing up, even between sort of OT and physio, but the OT, what the, what, like they had a work experience or something and they saw what the OTs were doing and they're like, that looks way more fun and way more entertaining than what the physios, not the physios, you know, are bad, but just there's a difference in what we do and it's it does generally, I think, come down to creativity, which is interesting that a lot of people seem to try and avoid creativity for some reason, but I feel like it's very important. So where did you, what What area did you end up working in once you went into OT?
1: I've had a bit of a variation, but I've mainly worked in um, trauma rehab and, um, and also involved in uh, specialising in areas of m- multiple... Diagnoses, so dual diagnosis, which okay. if anyone who works in dual diagnosis knows that means about five di- dual diagnoses. Um, but also I've been involved in advocacy and being advisors to government on different areas for... Um, trying to reduce the silos of the systems and for areas of more community services so i haven't always worn my ot hat yep. but i might have worn another hat as well and i've i have a systemic approach because i'm also a family therapist in my right. training as well
0: Just With everything going on mm. that's awesome I would, I would argue because I know a few people that have sort of moved into like the policy sort of guidance and that sort of stuff. And I feel like there's still an OT hat in there. Uh, it's not like you sort of completely put it away when you're looking at something other than sort of direct client contact.
1: I'd agree and I I just think like I remember being on a committee and it was mainly people um, you know like the office of the um, senior psychiatrist of the state and forensic care was there and, and then I had me coming with my brain injury and mental health hat, but no one really knew what an OT was. And what was exciting is when you suddenly, towards the end, you hear the chair of the committee saying, what we need is to think of what the person does in the day and how they they get there and how they... So, you know, there was some real just hearing and thinking, hey, we've got the chief psychiatrist talking about occupation. And then that's great. And I, I sort of feel like, well, I didn't write any papers or do any research in this and no one even knows that committee I used to be on, but at least there's been that systemic change that it's dribbled into other areas yeah. as well. So there's something exciting about being having an OT lens, but, but, but also being able to speak another language in other people's, speak within other people's language.
0: Yeah. And I think that's like in more, like in recent years, that's something I feel like a lot of people have caught on with, with the like the ICF framework and stuff, and then people are like, oh, that's so OT. I'm like, yeah, that's why we need to be sort of getting in there and trying to drive that within our health systems because mm. it's something that we already kind of are familiar with. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah, a good yeah. opportunity. Wow, that's awesome.
0: And Mario, how did OT find you? Um,
2: I feel like my answer is semi-stereotypical. Potentially, okay. with a lot of with a lot of gaps and years off because uh, I take forever to do things. <laughs> um, I actually started just in health sciences and arts because I knew I needed to do something with my time. <laughs> um, and then I, my mum's a speech pathologist, okay. um, and me being a little bit avoid. demand demand avoided. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going to be a speech pathologist um, with no other, no pressure for that anyway. Um, But she, um, I was able to go and do some observations in her PED clinic with the OT and then me being me, I did a whole heap of research about what OT is, didn't get any answers, but also <laughs> realised that it's so broad and that's what I wanted to jump into, like the the ability to move around if I wanted to um, into different areas. So I feel like that's how I got into the course and then, yeah. Well, I, I got really passionate probably third and fourth year, as potentially people do with more placement, um and actual experience. But yeah, I just I, I again love that the kind of infinite I love and hate the infinite possibility of O T. <laughs>
0: it's
2: it. oh, it's overwhelming. A lot to there. <laughs> not 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 hate like very strongly, but I love I love that we can do a lot. Um, and there's just so many opportunities, but the hate is probably just the overwhelm of that. (laughs) Me personally. anyway.
0: No, no, I, I would lean on agreeing with that as well, but probably for different Mm. reasons. Like I feel like the infiniteness of what we can do and where we go Mm. creates its own issues with regards to things like occupational identity and professional identity and cohesive professional identity, probably more, 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 but. Yeah, no, I, I would mm-hmm. I would agree with you with regards to having positives and negatives. But a lot of people don't yeah. like to think of the negatives. so just like patting each other on the back. Yeah, saying, yeah good job. That's awesome. Yeah. So where did where did you end up? Where did you go into after you finished uni? What where were you working? What
2: area? Um, so it was the year of COVID. <laughs> my last year, I, I graduated in twenty twenty. Um, I was I was quite lucky. Like we, none of my placements were disrupted or anything, yeah. and um i actually ended up staying in my local area which i probably wouldn't have before covid but i am in a community not for profit um organization primarily ndis clients but we're kind of kind of accessing a few different options now as well cuz ndis is a whole another ball game that is not always sustainable for uh, young therapists or any any therapist, mind you. Um, so yeah, but I love it. It's mainly community. Um, I work with a range of kids, adults. Um, yeah, I, I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's interesting that I've um, like I've never worked in private practice. I know a lot of people that do, and it's always amazed me. I don't know whether it's just something I thought about, but I'm like, why would you put? All of your eggs in my basket. And even before NDIS, I knew people that would build a whole practice around one funding source, so they'd be like, DVA, and that was it. And yeah. I'm like One little change to that single funding source and your whole business goes up in smoke. Like, yeah. Why wouldn't you diversify and offer a bit of everything?
2: Yeah. No, it is. It, it's good, though, I think. I also do some outreach, so I monthly do an outreach to Daniloquin um go oh, okay, which... there the Ute Buster. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the only got thing got I know a, happens out there. I've
2: got a picture. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, no, but I love that. I think that's kind of diversified my caseload to an extent that um, it's sustainable for me. So is that within um, the
0: same company? You do both of those? Yeah. Oh, yeah, awesome.
2: yeah, Yeah, so once a month I'll go out there and stay overnight. But it's just a whole, like it's a whole different, you know, the impacts on the people that live more remote, Um, like we're in a regional centre. But, again, it's just kind of a a huge gap in services out there. So it's it brings different things, but it's really um, sustainable for me because I really enjoy it. What's that intrinsic motivation?
0: (laughs) It's it's varied enough that that it holds your interest.
2: That's the sentence (laughs) I wanted.
0: (laughs) So how did, like, varied... Different stories. How did you two cross? How did you? Where's the connection?
2: Helen, or me? <laughs> Both.
1: Of Who them. wants to? I had the pleasure, and I'll say it was it was a great pleasure. That I think I was really lucky because I was um, I've been working at a university, and I taught Marielle, and that's where I met her. And I was where I was really lucky is I met her and taught her in each year. So that, that's oh, okay. pretty special. That um, normally, awful? yeah, and uh, the so that that was something where I've, yeah, not only met her but uh, continued working with her because I, I feel like we worked in collaboration. Um, but also then we've kept in contact after her graduation. I have a subject where... Marielle and a number of other students come back and talk to uh, the students like a lot of universities do that but we have a particular focus of that discussion so that's uh, probably not it's not so much coming back what it's like being an OT it's actually around another
0: more
1: in-depth conversation is that right Marielle and Marielle's been really an instigator with that so
2: yeah, yeah. I think um, our year group, I think, I don't know what it was about our year group, but we were lucky to have quite a close um, group and then I think that extended to our lecturers at the time as well. Um, so I think it was really nice to feel a closeness um, while learning. And I think, again, the topics that Helen um, facilitated, um, the subjects that you did were quite um, personal and professional, I think it impacted. All, I would say, pretty confidently, my whole year group, and I think, yeah, that's what started that. And yeah, I feel like Helen has nicely pushed me to try new things, such <laughs> as <is> the conference. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she's she's been. Yeah, I would I would say a lot of people in our year group have said she's. she's Helen's subjects has changed them as a person and professional for the better, um, I think, for their... That's pretty nice to hear. Yeah, look at you,
0: brownie points. Look at us. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned the conference, which is where I ran into you guys when I attended your, like, overflowing uh, talk in one of the sessions which is what we, we want to have a chat about today. Um, and you mentioned that you were pushed into going to the, the conference, which is something you probably wouldn't have done. What, what was your hesitation?
2: Um, so it, I, I think it started, so I don't know if other universities do this at all, but um, we, for our final kind of assessment in fourth year, we do a conference presentation that's kind of set up exactly like, um, the, the real life conferences. Um, and I, I just really enjoyed that, that process, the topic I was doing very similar to, um, our topic that we presented on. And I think, I think my hesitation, like post that Helen was kind of saying, you should, you should present this, you know, at, at a conference um not not just for university um my hesitation is probably a i'm not not a public speaker i'm an i'm an ot i describe myself as um i'm really passionate but it is you do get that sense of a conference is for like academics not like a day-to-day ot i don't know i I would say a lot yeah yeah,
0: i think i think traditionally they've probably (laughs) been framed that way i i would agree
2: yeah yeah so i don't i don't even know where i got that from because i hadn't even attended a conference before um i attended an online one but that's very different um experience and it still feels very you know us and them i don't know that's my experience anyway um so i did feel a little bit like oh not my place and then i thought heck let's just let's just do it just <laughs> so... say, the
0: reason i asked that is you don't <laughs> seem shy to me
2: uh, Even now,
0: you've got the coloured hair. You've got like the flashes headphones that are like glowing and changing lights it's and stuff on gaming them. My headphones. And, like you don't seem like a shy person. So I wondered whether it was like that you were just not like you said not a public speaker. Really.
2: I don't. I don't think I would have done it without Helen though. Okay. Helen. You, Helen, you've spoken at conferences before. You've presented before. I feel like Helen's a humble, quiet achiever. I found out anyway when I was up there and everyone knows her. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think her – I feel like we balanced each other out a little bit. If Yeah, I don't know if you'd say that, Helen.
1: <laughs> uh, look, i I'll um, be open and say that I – I knew I felt like I was a little bit conniving because I had a secret plan that um, Marielle's work needed to be presented, and a way to get her to present is if she co did it with me and I would help mentor her to get to that stage. Uh, so that's where I was a bit cheeky, I suppose, but I, I was pretty upfront saying, Let's do this. We were a pretty, we probably also, I wonder whether. The anxiety was also the same anxiety I had. We wondered whether our topic would get up and we wondered whether anyone would come and we wondered yeah. whether people would criticise what we were doing. So we t- were in some ways a bit oblivious to the amount of people there because we are so nervous about are we doing the right thing. Um, but in our heart, more so than our head, in our heart we believed what we were doing was the right thing and the right timing. So... Um, and, and I, um, I suppose I just felt that in Mariel's in the conference at this, at, as a fourth year, there was a real, f- the conference was around challenging, um, the profession and how to incorporate Indi- Indigenous ways of knowing and doing. So it wasn't just any topic. And when I saw the passion of the students and the skill, I thought this needs to be captured more than just uh, and people kept saying to me, "You should be presenting on her." D- did the conference I was going, it's not my words; it's it's Marielle's, and yeah, and she won an award at this student conference, so that was my um, my my uh, pull for her to say, you, we, "You should be presenting at a at a an OT conference." So, yeah, we we weren't even sure if the abstract would get taken up.
0: Well, I can definitely vouch for the number of people that were there because it was like even just looking around it was insane how many people attended this uh, stream. so what was your the topic of your presentation and and how did it how did that come about? Obviously, you said it was part of marielle's final year presentation, but how did the the interest in that topic and how did it come about? I'm going to
1: hand that over to marielle because you're passionate about this, so am I, but I think it you were such a driver in this.
2: Well, I, I don't think it would have ever come out, quite frankly, without the subject content that was the subject we did at uni. Um, I'm very grateful that I was in that time and place and year. Um, I think... It didn't come up easily. I know whiteness um, is, I'm kind of comfortable talking about it now, but really depending on who with and where and you know, all those things, because it's really um, not a comfortable topic and learning about it wasn't comfortable, um, which I think was the thing that drew me to it as well. I was at a place, you know, fourth year I'm really kind of about to be at as an OT and I think I was really ready for that challenge. Um I think that's potentially a bit of my personality coming through, but I we were supported really well. I had a really good group of friends at uni that we would have a lot of informal discussions about these topics and we would kind of go through the motions of, you know, um white fragility. Um we we had a we had quite a safe space to unpack a few things um and slowly go through it I think that's the benefit as well of um, university sometimes or for me anyway um I got to have that time to sit and think with with uncomfortable things um and the reflection part of it throughout our whole course I think was really um prevalent in in how I got passionate about the topic as well um, that next step in actually looking inwards and um, and then connecting it to OT as well, I think, was, you know, once you get all of those things together, which takes a lot of time and a lot of anger at the world and yourself and <laughs> the systems <laughs> and a lot of emotions, <laughs> as I'm assuming you guys would feel as well sometimes. Um, but also I think what it came down to was the privilege um, for me it was almost like this inherent I have I've grown up with white privilege, now I'm aware of it and then I got to the so I was supported to get to the point of okay, what what can I actually tangibly do with that? Like I'm not gonna just sit here with that and that kind of went into my conference presentation and my passion for OT. So I'm sorry, I ramble a lot, so no, I'm gonna like miss it out. <laughs>
0: Questions. Ramble away. That's what I'm Helen's all about. Used to it.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, I think yeah, it, it's just that to me, it's that um, sense of uh, it's a bit cliche, maybe, but it's like we only live once, and I just feel like if I'm this passionate about it, and I'm this privileged in terms of you know, I grew up middle class, um, you know, I'm not d- diagnosed with a disability, things like that. There's a lot that mean I think. Internally, I just feel this is something I need to do as much as I can about. <laughs> um, no, so awesome. yeah, and that probably pushed to to submit the abstract as well because I was thinking, like Helen, I was like, oh, I probably won't even get accepted, but I may as well try because I feel like, you know, what's, you know, it's it's the least I can do in my position of privilege. I think
1: that was something we shared is just that. Uh, us being aware it wasn't enough just to be aware and because the awareness goes up and down and in and out and mm. uh, but by presenting as a way of consolidating thoughts but also challenging other people as well as ourselves mm. and that that was part of the passion is feeling like I just don't want to be um, and sometimes I I have to credit some people from with Unger, network who gave me the challenge me to think, are you just a consumer? So am Maybe I why? just a consumer enjoying thinking I've got reflect critical reflection and I'm a consumer that I enjoy XYZ when I'm thinking about First Nation topics or but or am I a contributor to being an effective ally? And there was that sense that. I think with Marielle and myself, that we, despite having not written about this, we haven't researched it, we still had something to say to try and contribute to this growth of understanding. Mm. And we're both reflecting on how whiteness has been written about for a, a little while ago now in the OT journal, but it's it's still so prominent. It's still a topic that needs thrashing out and the more we looked into it the more we felt like now's the right time but also we need to be rechallenged it's it's not that whiteness is and white privilege is something that everyone has embraced in their critical reflection
0: yeah and i think that does that make sense yeah yeah i yeah. think that's part of what for me Made your presentation different to other ones that I've seen. So I think I, I spoke to you at the conference. Like the first time I came across this concept was uh, the Sydney conference. That would have been twenty nineteen. The yeah. Education Day, Tuberichi ran a session around yeah. whiteness, um, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And to have this, still to probably the most well-read, articulate human being that I've ever met. Yeah telling me about this concept that I was contributing to without even being aware of it was very confronting in a room full of people Mm. who were demographically very similar to me. Um, But then there was something different. I believe you said this, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you said this in your talk, that neither of you identify with an Indigenous background. Is that right? That's right. Um, And I feel like that was something that was very different from a lot of the other presentations in that stream. And obviously they're all targeting different areas. There was um, presentations about curriculum reform and, and that kind of stuff in that same stream. Um, but up until that point, I'd only ever... And I've had discussions with Tirupa and I've, there's an episode, probably still one of the biggest episodes mm-hmm. I've ever done on this podcast with Tirupa and Jody mm-hmm. Booth around whiteness and the the systemic racism in health systems and that kind of stuff um but it was i feel like to a degree up until that point it was me hearing about those issues from the people that were being affected by them which uh, for someone who's probably not super reflective or not able to sort of take a step back and absorb that information, the initial reaction I feel like for some people could still be a very us and them sort of Mm. othering, whereas hearing it come from two people who've said like, we don't identify, but this is our issue and Mm. everyone here needs to think about this as well, almost was like a very different tact to all of the discussions Mm. I've had about it which I think is yeah. why I felt it was it was so engaging. Um, to like, I'll give you the context. This the the area that this presentation took place in. It was a, it was very different from any conference. It was outside for one, but it yes. was. I think there was seating. I remember asking someone. I think there was seating for eighty, and there was probably about three hundred people there standing. Mm-hmm. um it was absolute i don't know who else was presenting at the same time but they would have been talking to themselves because i'm pretty sure everyone was at this stream um and i feel like that was that was one good thing that i did like about that conference is that it was a strong uh emphasis on uh particularly around academia so curriculum and that sort of stuff but around focusing on indigenous issues indigenous ways of of knowing and that kind of stuff mm-hmm which was very, way different to every other conference. Like I said, the first time I'd ever even heard of it was, what, four years ago. <laughs> so way different from every other conference I've I've been at. Um, but yeah, hearing you guys come out and say, hey, this is us, this is who we are, and this is our problem. Yeah. But I particularly like the, the, the tact that you took with it or the direction that you took with it of naming the problem being like i guess one of the first steps you can't really do anything about it unless you actually acknowledge that it's there mm-hmm. was that the the general direction that you wanted to take all the time or was that something that sort of just came out as you were <laughs> piecing it all together
2: um i think uh helen correct me if i'm wrong but again i think Everything that we put into that presentation has come from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander authors or organisations or our kind of learnings from those so like trainings and things like that. And it's just I if I feel kind of silly saying it, but it's we're just listening that's we're just listening to what they are telling us. Um name naming whiteness self reflection critical self reflection and i guess that's that's what we wanted to embed into our presentation and actually show how we can do that and show that strength based approach um and show other white professionals predominantly white ot's that it's really damn important and it's something we we have the capacity to do something about um so, I think, yeah, starting and I, and I think being overt about it, it not only captures people's attention, um but I think it, yeah it name it names the elephant in the room, people don't like it, but it also um it gets people engaged, I think as well, um, and I guess I took that i know I took that from my own learning, um mm-hmm. it takes a while to get there, and then you're kind of like, okay that that's it, that's um something we can do. What were you gonna say, Helen? Well, I was just agreeing with you
1: because we've we're not the first people that have suggested this. We've learnt from others. But I think it also stops us from jumping into trying to be solution focused of what to do. Yeah. Because the part of the solution is owning it and knowing it. And it it's an interesting process of that something that Marielle and I often will talk about and we have heard from First Nation Elders, if you'll feel uncomfortable, then you think you've gone a bit forward and then you realise by more critical reflection you're actually,
2: yeah,
1: you know, five steps behind where you thought you were and that that's part of it. And so I think mm-hmm. if we're not naming, we're not re- truly naming and not just band-aid naming, um, yeah. that we can't, that's part of being able to take a step forward is going back and renaming and really exploring mm-hmm. that. Uh, and we really both, in our discussions, find that's valuable. But it's also the fundamental issue that, um, is part of that presentation, mm. yeah, I think yeah. that that makes sense, yeah. Matt.
2: Yeah, and I think as well, kind of what you were saying before um, about. Trying, trying, I guess, as much as we can to reduce the burden on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and authors. Like you said, Tirapei having having to be that per- like mm. I'm, I'm sure he wanted to, but having to be the person that oh, actually that's something experiences he, he directly it. Directly
0: said was yeah like, don't yeah add to the burden
2: yeah just yeah because
0: you're trying to fix your issue like I think yeah. you as the royal you yeah um, yeah yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly, and I think naming whiteness and starting there and kind of sitting with that um I think is yeah, bringing bringing everyone in the room and saying, "Yeah, this is this is where we've got to go with this." And it like Helen said there's it isn't a quick fix, and I think that's that was probably something I was nervous about the questions because I know even colleagues of mine, or um, other OTs I've met, or multi-disc teams, are kind of like if they hear me talking about, they're kind of like wanting, you know, and and I don't blame them because I feel the same sometimes. Mm. You just want to fix the problem, um, but that's that's not yeah. Like I I fe- I felt nervous that people would want quick fix questions or answers and be like, okay, tell us something. Um, but that's why it. we kept saying. Name whiteness because overarching, we need to name whiteness and critically reflect on what it means.
0: Um, or so, you, us. so, obviously, the <laughs> like focusing when you're looking at whiteness as a concept, a lot of it is around the privilege that comes along with that. Are there any other components uh, to, I guess, the concept of whiteness, or is it mostly about the privilege? Uh, that's a kind of a, a really good question.
1: question the privilege yeah. sort of then brings in other mm. like there's the privilege and the mm. it, there's so much when you talk about the privilege, but it also then the privilege also brings in blindness mm. Mm. to the whiteness and that blindness then to systemic issues yep. and when yes. we relate it to ourselves as a, as for uh, me being a white woman. Mm. There's issues around my own privilege and, you know, mm-hmm. grappling with the word privilege. You know, mm-hmm. I remember a stage in my own thinking, oh, I didn't grow up privileged, privilege, but then mm-hmm. thinking, but because of my whiteness, mm-hmm. uh, there were so many things I did have privilege with. So that whole thing of how it impacts on you, but also how it impacts on me as an OT and my positioning mm-hmm. because I am part of the norm. I'm white. I'm female. I work in mainstream health issues, and uh, and the system is, you know, predominantly white and incredibly racist. So that's mm-hmm. all of those systemic issues. Yep. Without really thinking of whiteness, I don't think we can address the systemic racism without exploring mm-hmm. it in more depth.
0: And that's that's pretty much exactly what I was sort of mm-hmm. why I was asking that is I, I feel like. Uh, so the concept of the white privilege or privilege in general has been thrown around for a number of years, but mm. it, in discussions I've had or stuff that I've seen online, it seems to be because it's subjective, people seem to be able to justify it and sort of push it aside really easily. Like, mm. you know, oh, i I I'm not privileged, I worked hard to get here or whatever the yes. argument is, whereas essentially this... Uh, looking at the same concept but why you have that privilege so whiteness um is you can't really argue. like I can't go I'm not that's not me like that is me mm. I am white yeah. um so I feel like it's on terms of pushing for change it's Stopping a lot of people from being able to, I guess, weasel out of the critical reflection required yeah. um, to, to get their head around this or actually to make change. Because I, I do okay. know a lot of people that yeah, just looking at privilege will be able to rightly or wrongly justify why they're not privileged or why it isn't an impact on them or why they're not contributing to to that no. um, aspect mm-hmm. of it. But when we reframe it, all of a sudden the same concept oh, wait, maybe I am. So I think it kind of bolsters your argument about naming it and why we need to to call it out and, and uh, I, I guess identify with it as well um, because it's all well and good calling it out, but I feel like if we're not taking that next step, which probably would come with a lot of your work you've done, Marielle, around the, the critical reflection and, and sitting with that discomfort for a long time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're not, uh, I guess, incorporating that into our identity at some, some point, then we're not able to really do anything about it. We're, just, we're still keeping mm-hmm. it as a separate entity to ourselves, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, as we know with many other things, it's very easy to either brush things under the rug or ignore them when we're not actually sort of uh, seeing ourselves as a part of it or seeing it as a part of us.
2: Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, if it's invisible, it's not It's not there. <laughs> like, that sounds like a silly sentence, but it's, it,
0: it, it's... It's not front of mind, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, like you said, as an OT, I feel... Like, we, yeah, we absolutely have to label it to be able to confront it and to be able to actually make change, um, I feel like, until you can get to the point of kind of stepping away and thinking it's actually not about me because I know that whole white fragility moment people have where it's kind of like, oh, it's not my fault, and, and trust me, I felt like that as well. Um, yeah, and I think the best thing I feel like I've done is, just stepping away and be like actually it's just it's a fact um, that I'm white and it brings me a lot of things Um, and I could either be upset and grumpy about it or I could actually try and be proactive Um, and again the privilege to to make that choice even is something that I know I still get frustrated with Um, I think I still have a lot of emotions about it just because it's so um such a privilege to even choose to not see it kind of thing yeah um but yeah but that
1: but that privilege <laughs> that you're saying that you have and the well, not so much the privilege it's it's mm. the privilege and your frustration about it that's what tapped in you tapped into to get up and present you know like mm. this was mm. your first national conference i don't think I think you had told me you hadn't even been to a workshop in a metropolitan city, let alone, because we're both from a regional area. And then Mm -hmm. I think that frustration was your energy that got you to do the presentation, that anything I threw you and said, have you read this? You were just reading it and coming back with notes. I thought she's left university. I feel <laughs> like she's still with me.
0: Doing um, your assignments.
1: Yeah, and even <laughs> like yeah, all of so. And we had robust discussions. We expanded that by some of the people you graduated with, and mm-hmm. and a couple of the students from a previous year un, uh, that came back and spoke with the students. And really, it was like we had our own little. Study group happening, and other and the, awesome. uh, the the students were were our witnesses. All I was doing was facilitating. But uh, that that passion, the frustration, turned into a passion to be, enable you to get up and actually present really well. Of if we don't name the whiteness, then all we're doing is reinforcing that mm. it's systemically that we can mm. sweep it under the carpet.
2: And I think as well, I'm certainly not not the first person to say this, but once you see and kind of understand to an extent whiteness, I feel like it, it just doesn't go away. <laughs> it's overwhelmingly everywhere. Mm. Um, I feel like I cannot, um, to my partner's, I don't know, benefit maybe. I can't watch a TV show without kind of unpacking the whole thing <laughs> and bringing systemic whiteness into it, it, but it's, again it's overwhelmingly present which i think again is that kind of privilege for me to have the passion to say okay what can we do about it and as an ot what can i do about Mm. it what can i do in my daily practice what can i do um you know i'll I'll say yes to trying to do the conference and things like that yes to coming um, on some
0: weird guys (laughs) podcast
2: saying yes <laughs> to that Yeah, but you've,
1: well. I think you've expanded we'll beyond, <laughs> like the conference might have been one thing and it may have increased mm. your articulation and being able to to say things. And I think that's the beauty of a conference is often you, we consolidate our thoughts and then articulate. Meeting incredible people, like the amount of yes. people that we both spoke to as a result that we would never spoken to before. But... Mm. It's not just that, because I listen to how you supervise students, and like when you talk about on the SPEFA, there's the for students, there's the cultural responsive practice. A student under you doesn't just get a quick tick in that area, but they get explanation. So, like it's 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 embedded in your practice to be thinking about this, but also to be an educator in other ways.
0: If it shows progress, I don't even think that was on the SPF file when I went through, like, many, many moons ago. But, like, mm-hmm. there's actually steps that we can see that are, are changing. Yeah. And it's good that you're not just letting people through with a, an easy pass on some of those sections.
2: Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> that's, I guess, like, working in the university, yeah. that's one of the things that... I've always taken relatively serious is that you are almost a gatekeeper for the future of the profession. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm more than happy to support anyone with anything that they've got, but Mm -hmm. you still need to like have the adequate knowledge and the adequate standards to Mm -hmm. be able to take the profession forward. And I'm really passionate about the profession So I kind of that's not something I want to take lightly, and it's good to see that Mm -hmm. you're the you are the next generation. I'm I'm old now, but um, (laughs) like that you're still doing the same thing that you're 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 holding them to a high standard, which is awesome. Yeah.
2: No, I think. um, uh, Yeah, I think. I would just l- love for more people to know, and I guess, again, that's probably why we did the presentation and everything, but to know that they do have a lot of control over how and what they can do to essentially do their bit to decolonize OT and their practice. And I think, um, yeah, finding out... L- I guess I would say little and then immediately I say they're not little ways to embed that into your practice and half the time as well I'm thinking I, I'm the first person to say that um, I also ignored culture a bit um, for for quite a while, like the importance of knowing certain things. Um, but I think the more I learn, the more I understand and i and, and I'm grateful that it's now in the SPFAR, um and there's lots of progress being made. But, again, what we can actually do as OTs, because um, I think it can get overwhelming. You graduate and you go out into the world, and especially with NDIS, again, there's a lot more to learn. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I just really hope that people, yeah, can see um, critical reflection and... Cultural safety is something that is just needed. It's, it's, the, it's the bare minimum yeah. <laughs> to kind of provide safe services as an OT, I think. Which able? I don't think people love to hear, but still. No,
0: no. <laughs> Are you able to give, and I know it's obviously going to be different for every person, but one of the little things in quotation marks that you say, like an example of one of the little things that you've done, like a step that you've taken in practice yeah I feel like that's um, I feel like that's a big disconnect that a lot of people are finding now is like we've, this first step of like naming the problem, yep okay, we're working on yeah. that, but how does that translate into practice sort of in the end and I feel like a lot of people yes. are me included um yeah. hesitant to uh delve into it or put too much energy into it because they can't really see what the outcome's gonna be if that makes sense which yes. is the same with any change that we make as human beings but Like what's, what's, and obviously I'm not saying that this is something that everyone needs to do, but what's an example of something that you've done?
2: Um, My favourite example, and probably not the little thing, but the most important thing I would say is embedding kind of your um, cultural safety goals into your CPD and actually doing it every year because... I feel like that's that's probably the thing that would, uh, what's the word, when you do a thing and then it has an outcome, it would have the biggest outcome on yeah. your um, practice. The return on so, investment. Yeah, yeah. so um, you, I know, um, I'm not sure if people are aware of um, IAHA their cultural responsiveness course. I cannot recommend that enough. Um,
0: I'm partway through long... it myself.
2: Yes, I yeah, I, that I did that ago. last year and those are the kind of courses that I think you can't you can't move forward up like it's kind of like it's kind of like the theory before putting it into action does that make sense yep um so I would recommend that first um but things like questioning everything a little bit more so um you know, I know I hear a lot of um, OTs or students and even I was one of those students saying that, oh, I don't actually work with anyone that identifies as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. And you kind of think, OK, well, because I that? don't work with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of like, oh, I don't need to do that because yeah. I don't actually work in that area. Um but, yeah, questioning things, the assessments we use, actually looking at who they're standardised against and being Something like... Something um,
0: students about all the time.
2: Yeah, that's one of my biggest ones where, again, that's probably, uh, I guess, an easy thing that you could do when you're choosing assessments is mm-hmm. actually looking at that and thinking, okay, this is actually safe and appropriate for these people. Um, why is there no <laughs> assessments that are safe and accessible for our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients and again if if they feel safe enough to actually tell you that they are um sorry I didn't give you a little suggestion no that no uh,
0: I I said a little in quotation marks because I knew they weren't a little but you gave a good example
2: yeah there's there's so much um or yeah just just in training as well and realizing that there's so much to learn and it impacts someone's whole life. Um, and without it, I would say we're providing unsafe practice for sure. Um, I think one thing, one thing
0: I've yeah. thought about, I wonder if it's something, I'm, I actually think I know the answer to this, but um, <laughs> one thing we toyed with in my workplace is including like, so most people have some sort of reflection process, reflection template that they yes. would use, but actually consciously including, like, a a, a cultural safety, cultural responsiveness question in there for everything. So it doesn't matter what it is, whether you're reflecting on a staff meeting or you're reflecting on a lesson that you taught. Obviously, I work at university, Mm -hmm. so they're the kinds of things we're looking at. But, like, adding that in there to see... Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And even if it's, like, again, like you said, little things, being able to firstly identify the gaps... um, It will be a, a a step, I guess, into yeah. um, making some sort of change.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, we we've um, done that as well with our mostly with our students, but I guess I've done it with myself for reflective tools as well, where I go in and we use the four plus one. It's like. Um, yeah what went well, what didn't go well, what would you do differently next time? And the same, we've added in a question about has kind of your culture influenced um, the session or the, you know, the session or the assessment or whatever you've done in meeting um, and rem- reminding yourself that you come with a lot of. Um, biases and stereotypes and trying to do a strength-based approach, which is to look at yourself and say, what kind of assumptions did I actually come into this with um, and reflect on that as well? And I think doing that everywhere, like you like you said, you guys are doing, I think is really important because then it doesn't do the whole us and them. Like I'm only going to do it with my Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. I don't think that's helpful. I think it really is helpful to do it everywhere. Um, because there's so many different cultures um, that I know I don't know about. Um, and I, I will never learn fully anyway, because you can't learn culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And I think that's, yeah. that's part of the thing, yeah. is a, a lot of people, like we... I would say the vast majority of OTs do use some sort of form of reflection, even if they say they don't, they will. Mm. Um, but unless they're reflecting on something that is, you know, they've worked with an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander client or something direct... They probably don't mm-hmm. think about it, and even then they mm-hmm. may not think about it, but um, something my yeah. students are probably very sick of hearing from me is around, like, self-awareness, and if you're not self-aware of what you're bringing to the table, then yeah. how are you expecting to help other people? And yeah. I think adding a question like that and reflecting on that specifically with everything, not just mm-hmm. things that are directly impacting you know, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander clients... Yeah. Um, can only improve your your, at least your self-awareness of your whiteness, of your privilege and how it's impacting everything
2: day to day. Yeah, it really... I think it's a really good transferable um, approach for all the intersections that come... Like, I know, again, I I assume a lot of people potentially even listening to this will be in maybe a DIS. I don't know... Um, who listens, but the bit of everything. But again, it's, you, you really just don't go and see a client or a person and there's one thing, you know, like there's always going to be a lot of different intersections going on in their life. And I think that um, reflective practice prompt is so transferable to all of that again. So going in and thinking what were like my, what were my stereotypes about disability or this particular mental health um, issue or concern or diagnosis? So yeah, it's it's a really good one. I think everyone should do.
0: <laughs> this one, uh, this could be completely off topic, but I know that something that helped me even getting my head around the concept is having a read about the concept of social constructionism. I don't know if you guys have had a look at that. I'm assuming you yeah. probably will have in some form, um, but just how, Having an understanding of how concepts are essentially created in our in our minds um, mm. helped me a lot i mean I, I read it years and years ago for completely unrelated issues, but um, it helped me have an understanding of I guess how we got here in the first place. Mm. Um, mm. And it really helped me get my head around, uh, like, issues with dominant culture and that kind of stuff mm. in that we are essentially writing the narrative um, mm. and how these issues came around because of that, really. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it also gives a bit of a language. Mm. Like, what one of the things that when I'm listening to Marielle and you speak just to those two points is it gives a language to be able to... Aid your reflection and what words may not cover everything, but it, it gives a context, a language to be able to expand upon that reflection and thinking about it.
0: Mm. I think, it, like, the reason I looked into that years and years ago was looking around the construction of stigma for mental health clients. And it's, mm. it's a simple, in terms of how those biases are formed, it's a very simple mm. process. Um, Absolutely. So that is something. I've actually got a textbook recommendation. I might throw it in the show notes if anyone's interested. I think it was Vivian Burr was the author. Um, but it's 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 easy to read. It's small and it, it helped me get my head around that. And it might help other people. So I'll, I'll throw that in the show notes if anyone's yeah,
1: interested. Yeah,
0: yeah, great. Um, so you mentioned before around the, like, response, and obviously I can give you my biased opinion of the response that you got from the conference because I'm biased and that's what I like to do. Um But what was it? Uh, positive, negative, challenged? Like, what was your sort of, I guess, predominant response to your, to your presentation at the conference in Cairns? Well,
1: I... Mariel, do you want me to start or do you want to? <laughs>
2: yeah, you go. <laughs> I, I, Sorry.
1: <laughs> I think I could speak on behalf of both of us because we both mentioned this just before the recording. We're both blown away with how many people mm. were there, but mm. more so we're blown away by how many people stopped us after the presentation and gave their reflections and their comments and... How many people um, actually talked about what they were going to do as a result? And Mm -hmm. to me, that um, had—I think I remember saying at the day of the after the conference with Marielle, I was saying, you know, uh, we had first people OTs coming up who were First Nation OTs thanking us for being on this journey and thanking us for speaking out. And that meant the most, for me, I, that was like the most important. Um And then other people just that I'd, neither of us knew that coming up and saying, thank you for that. Um Yeah, can you come and do a podcast? But other people saying, you know, I, I'm thinking I, I need to speak out more. I hadn't, you know, this aided my reflection. I hadn't thought of this. It was we might have been preaching to some people who were already (laughs) converted and it helped them and then there were others that had said I hadn't thought of this or um, Mm I'm I remember one a really young OT who said I I think I need to speak out about xyz and it was he was working in schools and I just thought that was really meaningful for me to feel that it created action as well as thought Mm so I was I was pretty blown away and relieved that it was um, that more than one person turned up other than our friends. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I feel like, um, again, me being a little bit naive in terms of I don't, I don't, I haven't been to a conference in person before, so I was probably standing there to hell and going, is this normal? <laughs> is, is this normal to like, have this response? <laughs> um, but like like Helen just said, I think the thing that meant the most was um, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander authors and listeners that came up and and um, and gave us feedback, and that again i think yeah that just meant the most to us um but meeting people as well um was really nice and very unexpected again for me i was just hoping to get up there and kind of not trip over my words and like (laughs) helen said actually have people and maybe the questions aren't too hard um but yeah i think the response is yeah really quite overwhelming actually in a a very good way um for me in terms of okay what what more can we do um yeah
0: what were your reflections coming off the back of your presentation (laughs) any questions that you got maybe that that triggered master (laughs) that triggered any sort of thoughts or reflections
2: still how prevalent uh, whiteness is embedded into everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have a look at the demographic yeah. of the people that were there to, to yes, realise yeah. that.
2: No, I think um, uh, for me as a person, I get quite passionate about topics and I'll dive in and do a I must know everything about everything if I can. Um, so I'm usually quite up here. And other people, when I talk to, they might be down here on the passion level. So um, it was nice to just speak to people that had that same level of passion um, to change and to make action um, with what we were talking about. But then again, I still guess that I think I was kind of still taken aback by uh, people that I thought would be up there and potentially had a bit of a... Uh, they're still grappling with whiteness themselves and mm-hmm. I think I had trouble with that because I was kind of like oh like aren't you okay with it by now and then I had to kind of regroup and remember that sometimes I am in my own little bubble of people that um, you know might feel comfortable talking about whiteness and there's so many people out there that aren't so I think those are the people that I found at a little bit challenging. Um. Interesting. It, it sort yeah. of gave
1: a really good dis- like to it. Both of us were talking about who we know, whether they're at the conference or not, who haven't asked us about it or haven't mm. made reflections or even commented. And that's interesting. I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. But it also, like, yes, we could unpack that around people's discomfort around whiteness discomfort of the word privilege um, avoiding it to avoid that or even not getting it and it it also reminded me of Lynn Oak's wise words of saying when that um, sometimes we need to surround ourselves with people that are on the similar path because it can be a lonely journey when you've got if you do come across people who aren't interested or are avoiding it completely, mm. like there's, there's this difference between not interested and mm. not avoiding, uh, uh, by avoiding. I, uh, Yeah, it, it, that's been an interesting sort of thought. And at the conference, <laughs> that wasn't the issue. It was after the conference mm. hearing, not mm. hearing from people or hearing from people who thinking they would have been interested but they weren't or haven't expressed that interest. So that's interesting in itself as well.
0: Yeah, Mm. I think the reason I say, similar to what you just touched on there, the reason I say I'm biased is because a lot of the people that I – connect with and i surround myself yeah. with are not necessarily at the same stage in this journey as i am but are at least interested in having conversations about it um yeah. like i i think i told you when i did eventually track you down that i'd been trying to find you guys for like two days at that damn conference <laughs> and then eventually bailed you up when um dr emma george was talking to you. it was like the very last session of the whole conference i'm pretty sure um but like yeah. people like Emma, who like she told you guys then, like she presented on this years and years ago, and back mm. then she was the only one talking mm. about it, and like she was super stoked that uh, you were continuing the conversation. If it's not similar to most things, I guess if it's not front of mind, it's like we said before, it's it's forgotten. It's not it's mm. not looked at. It's ignored. It's whatever it is. But being able to have someone continue that conversation um at a you know for australia that's not that's kind of the highest level is obviously the national conference that's Mm. where you want to be having these discussions that's that's Mm -hmm. that's where they should be happening
2: yeah no her reflection was again i feel like I'm not a big cryer, but I feel like I could, <laughs> I could have that like emotional response to some of the the people that came up to us because it means so much. Um, again, coming from a regional setting like Helen and I to be connected and and hear those comparisons um, when um, she compared it to the her presentation four years ago, um, I was just mind blown. I don't I don't think. I feel like I blacked out with talking to everyone.
1: I think because both you and I burst into tears because <laughs> mm. we were so emotional that she was so passionate and could see that we had raised something. And I, I don't. I think suddenly it dawned that what we did was the right thing to do, and mm. we hadn't really thought mm. about that before. Yeah.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah. There's a reflection post conference. We're <laughs> yeah. on the right track. Tears. It's <laughs> all right, it happens to the best of us.
1: I didn't so no. t- expect to be crying at the conference. So. Well,
0: no. I guarantee you it's not the first time it's happened, and it probably yeah. won't be the last, but at least there were tears for a good reason. Yeah, It wasn't yeah. that, you know, they heckled us off stage or anything, it was that people mm. were really responding to what you were saying. That's, that's yeah. a pretty good reason to have a cry, if you ask me. Yeah. I, I they yeah I hope <laughs> that continue yeah sorry they will and you guys are going to continue this journey i can already tell
2: it's true i mean it doesn't it it helps that i'm downstairs from helen where i work and where she works
0: <laughs> whatever it I mean, everyone knows now after you know the world got flipped upside down a few years ago mm-hmm. like physical location isn't a barrier anymore. Yeah, um, very true. And that's that's why I like... I'm, I'm surprised no one started it. Maybe this is a hint, hint for you guys. Um, that, you know, there's special interest groups for all kinds of stuff that meet online and I wonder whether or not there's, you know, some sort of, like you were saying, that you had with some of your former students and that sort of stuff, that kind of discussion group. I wonder why mm-hmm. no one's... Or well, maybe they have started one online somewhere and I just haven't heard about it, but I just feel like <laughs> well, it'll be an interesting project. Think,
1: I don't think there is, and I, I think when you were saying that, I, I think that's a great idea because that's mm-hmm. possibly after the conference, I missed those discussions when there was Emma and yourself and Marielle and I and there was someone else, and then there was another discussion when we were weaving with Natalie from the Central Coast, yes. and I... Miss those conversations with like-minded mm. people who are interested that keep your motivation of mm. to be make this forward and not just something that you put in the back burner.
0: Because I think it, it's interesting. It kind of and this is going to link back to something I remember looking at years and years ago. Um, I remember so a friend of mine in the, in New Zealand did her PhD. Ellen Nicholson did her PhD on uh, maintaining occupation-based practice. Uh, And the outcome of that was essentially around, she created this model around developing uh, communities of practice in order to have those discussions and keep them front of mind. And um, I ended up starting a project in my local district back in the day when I worked clinically, um, where we would have regular meetings, and obviously it was all in person then, but have regular meetings purely, I think it was like an hour a month, to discuss and reflect on you know times when we either struggled to maintain occupation-based uh, practice or little wins that we'd had and that kind of stuff. And I feel like that community's a practice model might actually be really yeah. sort of useful um, for this situation as well in that... And like like we said, there's there's no physical barriers that can stop that kind of stuff anymore. Mm. So like developing like an online community as a practice model, Uh practice group, um, mm. purely and simply to reflect and I guess aid support people's reflection and again celebrate changes or reflect on changes and just keep that conversation front of mind might be something that's uh, really. Useful, just throwing it out there if anyone just was interested.
2: <laughs> well, I've got two days before I go back to work, so
0: <laughs> yeah, after being jet setting around the world, I've still
2: got time to do some things.
0: All my PD, projects, I've been doing
2: <laughs> well, that would
0: class as PD,
2: yeah. I'm well and above the PD yeah, limit. Right. I'm not stressed about my hours. That's fine. But it is a great idea. Mm, It is, isn't it? Mm.
0: And I feel like that's what you guys have been doing uh, in your local area anyway. It's essentially what you've done is you've created a small community of practice for those discussions with yourselves and ex-students. And obviously, if you're continuing those conversations with current students, then there's another little community of practice and... I guess her research was around that's how you make changes to, like yeah. you said before, get like-minded people and keep that discussion happening, which yeah. I think is why Emma was so excited. <laughs> the, the part of the feedback when she was talking to you that I caught um, was that's what she was so excited about, was you guys were keeping this front of mind for OTs that are often quite like goldfish and... Uh, tend to like oh yeah that's really interesting and then 10 minutes later they're on to the next thing yeah (laughs) so what is the next thing for you guys with regards to all of this just continuing on continuing on or have you got big plans going to the next conference wherever that may be what's what's the well i've
1: already instigated an idea for mario See, i just instigate ideas I like it. I, I've been thinking that a few of the people from that that do come back and present to the students, and we have, and then after the presentation, we just continue the conversation. Um, I've been thinking, and especially since all all of them are working in regional settings as well, so it's something unique. But thinking mm. for the next conference, a presentation from. Maria and Co on how they've implemented changes since they've graduated in terms of understanding whiteness and systemic barriers, yeah, something I don't know, but thinking you know my aim with that conference presentation was to support our a newer generation of o t s to be the speakers um And I think one of the things that impressed me was the number of young OTs that came Mm. up and spoke to us and spoke with with Marielle, and sat down with lunch with us. And we were at a... There was a research table. We sat down by mistake and I knew the researcher. And we ended up with all these people not talking about research but about whiteness um, for the whole lunch break. And most of them were really... There weren't many... The OTs were not long out who were all enthusiastic. So I think maybe hearing the voice of the younger OTs who Mm. were addressing whiteness in their practice would be something to explore further. I think that would be
0: wicked. And that's one thing I did notice about that conference is Mm. there was a lot more compared... Obviously, I've been to a few of them now. um, There was a lot more sort of new grads and younger career OTs than any other conference that I've been to. I don't know whether that's due to like the location or yeah. what the reasoning was. Uh, maybe just because we hadn't had a conference in so long, so everyone was just hanging out for sort of some person-to-person contact or what it was. But there was definitely a lot more younger career OTs at, in Cairns than there has been at pretty much any previous. I think that was my fifth or sixth national conference. And, yeah, yeah it definitely was a lot. That was a big difference in the demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to previous conferences which probably feeds into Mario what you're saying before about why you thought that conferences were purely academia because traditionally they probably were Um, yeah but yeah cancer is very different so hopefully that continues that trend and hope wherever the next one is hopefully they can um, attract a lot more of those uh, early career ot's as well because i do feel like like you said before helen that yeah, you know, they're the they the future, they're gonna shape where the profession goes. So you know, you can have a handful of academics that might even like oppose these views, but if the the coal face of the profession is embracing it and making the changes towards it, it's gonna happen, which is awesome. Like that's where you kind of that's your target market essentially if you're gonna use marketing speech.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm always happy to help Helen out slash be nicely encouraged to, (laughs) gently encouraged to, nicely encouraged. encouraged. I don't know where I got that from, Um, to jump in. I think I just still want to do, as always, a lot of learning. Um, I've just registered to go to the IHA conference um, in November, so I'm actually really excited to go there and just attending listening. or just speak, speaking or <laughs> Attend- just attending, attending. Yep. just attending um i haven't been to any of their conferences before but um yeah i'm i'm just excited to take it all in learn and then i don't know what will happen
1: hello yeah i, I think this is a topic you could talk for four hours about and there'd still be something but i i think we've covered oh, a lot yeah. yeah it's been very enjoyable it's been yeah. fun
0: well, thanks so yeah. much, guys, for not being nervous and avoiding coming on the, on the pod. I'm glad that you, you did. You seemed very unsure when I first asked, but I'm glad Emma was there to convince you that it was a good thing. And we finally Ooh. made it work after your extended yes. holiday. You seem very relaxed now after your, your holiday.
2: <laughs> um, I am. I'm actually really excited to go back to work on Monday. So...
0: If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to occupiedpodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.